So, welcome to the Top Form Podcast, and today's guest, Amy Reese from Elite Force Safety. Elite Force Safety. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we're going to be talking about mental health specialists, specifically in the workplace. So, Amy, let's go over where you started at the very beginning. So, before you kind of worked at the job you was before this, this one, how did it all start? Yeah, so the reason I kind of got into what we're doing now is I used to work in an office and it was quite a toxic environment. Um, I didn't realise it was toxic for a long time and it's one of those things that you don't really realise how bad it is until you're out of it. Um, but when I was when I was in it, there was, you know, a lot of things that were going on that I knew weren't quite right. So there was a lot of kind of game playing, a lot of manipulation, a lot of... How old were you at this time? So I was... 23 must have been yeah so pretty new to kind of a work environment yeah so I had I had other jobs previously but it was my first experience of an office job so before I did um I did hairdressing for a few years and I did caring as well and yeah so I hadn't really had any kind of experience like that it was all very new to me um so I didn't really know what to expect and it was quite a small company so you know the the red flag like yeah it's like family and you know yeah, all those things yeah. that you hear and you're like, yeah and like it's nice at first and then you start to see things that aren't quite right so I worked there in total for about three years um and as I said just got to a point where I was seeing more and more of the toxic behaviors so I started seeing more of kind of the bullying and the um, harassment and there was a lot of like inappropriate comments and things like all the time it was there was a lot of young women that worked in the office and a lot of the management were old men yeah um so yeah so I just I, I knew it wasn't right but it's kind of like I don't know is this just what it's like being in an office yeah it's get, sort of getting on with it type of thing yeah. I didn't not. I just didn't have anything to compare it to um and then like, I just a few things happened and I just realized that yeah this isn't this isn't normal like I shouldn't be feeling like this coming to work and I saw how it was affecting a lot of other people's mental health as well um so there's a few people I used to work with and um you could see like how it was affecting them and it was almost like a game like they like like used to like latch on and like make it worse when they could see someone was struggling the the management stuff they sort of the yeah and the guys. yeah and the higher level and stuff so it was just a bit like you kind of see things happening like it just doesn't sit right with me morally it just felt really wrong so although you know i didn't have anything to compare it to like you know what's right and what's wrong don't yeah. you yeah so describe like what kind of a scenario would be like general toxic behaviour, what you'd see. I'd see, oh God, I could tell so many stories. <laughs> but like, for an example, um, if there was an example with one of the management actually, where they said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm away too much, I'm doing too much. And the reaction to that was, right, well, make sure he's away more. He's, you know, this is a job, if he can't hack it. And uh, right. pretty much like made him go away more and more. So he wasn't seeing his family. He was getting very stressed. And he looked like physically ill. And you're just like, oh my God, like how can you treat people like this? Um, what the, was their kind of reasoning with it? Or to, to give him more opportunity to work away with it? Just to sort of put him through it and then hopefully eventually that he'll love working away or were they just a way to get rid of people? I think it was just like just punishment and just control. It was just like a game playing, like how far can we push this person? Um, And then it would kind of move focus from person to person anyway. So there'd be people that were in favour 
And then when you're in favour, it's okay. But then as soon as you're out of favour, you're like, oh my God. So everyone then kind of gets in and buys into playing the game because they don't want to be out of favour. So, yeah, I mean, having come out of it now and spoken to people and they're just like, I can't believe you put up with that. I can't believe you're in that environment. But when you're in it, it just feels really normal. And Yeah, just waking up, going to work. So it wasn't just... So I presumed at the beginning it was just all sort of aimed at the women in the office. So it was men and women that was kind of victim to it. Yeah, it was constant, like, game playing is the best way to describe it. And did you find the turnover of staff was quite high? It was strange because it wasn't... Right, it was always the same Yeah, places. people just kind of stayed. And it, I think that's kind of what made it worse because you're like, well, they've, everyone that's here has been here for years. So, like, I, yeah, <laughs> am I just yeah. being oversensitive? And you start kind of questioning yourself and questioning, like, what you're seeing... So there was a few situations where I would say to like my friends, colleagues, like, have you noticed that? And they're like, no. And I'd be like, it's just me. Am I just, am I going mad? Like you, yeah. you quest, start to actually question your sanity because you're like, I don't understand how I'm the only one seeing this. Yeah. Um, what kind of other behaviour was it you were seeing sort of in an example? Well, the, that specific example was when I was being like completely shut out. So the, the person who was doing it would refuse to engage with me at all. So I was obviously out of favour at that yeah, point. Yeah. Um, this, so this is the high top high, top dog in the... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And something had happened outside of work. I, I'd started a relationship with somebody and basically didn't like it. Right. And... Um, yeah, so he started, like, avoiding me and not talking to me and stuff, and it was just really odd. And even when he should have really spoken to me for work stuff, he would do it through someone else. And I was like, he's got a problem. There's definitely something wrong. They're like, no, I don't I don't think so. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know. And it just, it really messes with your head, yeah. to be honest. So I saw how it was impacting other people, and then I started to feel it impacting me. And that's the moment when I was like, okay, right, I this isn't normal. I need to get out of this situation somehow. So obviously, so like, don't just leave a job. You have to find something else. So yeah, backups and stuff. Yeah, so I think I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, and it was just like, if I go into another office, is it going to be even worse? Like a couple of the girls had said, you know, I've worked in worse places. It could be worse, and I was like, really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what well, I can with these. Girls that were saying this kind of around the same age as you, or they were they a little bit older? Yeah, all round to about the same age. Right. So, yeah, all under 32, 33, I would say. Yeah. So all fairly, fairly young. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it just... So from the point of you saying, right, I probably need to get out of the situation now. Then you went through leaving, looking for a new job. Or is that when you started setting up your company? Yeah, so we, I was looking at, I say we because um, I own the business with yeah. my partner. Um, I was looking at other jobs and I was like, well, I could apply for this, could apply for that. But I was just, to be honest, I was like scared of getting another job because I was like, I don't want to be job hopping and jumping from one job to the next. So I, I don't know what I want to do. And then we had an opportunity to speak to another couple who had set up their own business doing a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so we had a conversation with them and I just thought like they, you know, they were nice enough, but they were very slow at kind of getting back to us and not very organized and stuff. I was kind of thinking, if they can do it and make it work, then I don't see why we can't. Right. And you, at this point you still wanted to be, cause the previous job where all the issues started, was that 
working with mental health or was that just health and safety no so that was just um health and safety it wasn't it wasn't mental health it was a very niche one area of health and safety um but yeah it was kind of like we're moving we've got the health and safety experience and we can go into that area and it was interesting because when we came out and kind of actually went into the area, we realised how much more there was to health and safety. Yeah. So that's when we kind of looked at what we were doing and developed a lot of what we were doing, a lot of the stuff we were offering, because we realised how much more there was that we could offer with mental health being being one of them and being something that I was p- personally passionate about. I was like, I think that there's a real need for this, for yeah, good training. It, it, over in the last five years, I mean, even if COVID didn't happen, I think over the last five years, like the awareness around mental health has massively, massively increased. So before even all this was happening with yourself at work, did you already kind of have that uh, relationship with mental health and like that was the industry you wanted to work in some way? You said you worked in care at one point. Yeah, not really, to be honest. I didn't really know enough about it. So without unknowingly, I've been around mental health issues my whole life like I think a lot of people probably have through parents or family or even friends so I knew kind of bits about it like you obviously there's the um views on suicide and things that are all very um I mean I I thought that suicide was selfish that's that's what I'd had drummed into me that suicide's selfish anyone that attempts or is commit also is not really the right term to use because it's like you're doing done something wrong um but anyone who has done that is selfish and all the I only really had what I'd been what I'd been told, but then when I started looking into it and understanding it a bit more, it's like there's a lot more to this. It's a lot deeper than the standard stereotype yeah, yeah. stuff that gets thrown around. Um, so yeah, I hadn't really had I didn't really have that much knowledge about it. I had I realized I was starting to realize at this point that I have always say struggled with but I haven't struggled with it because I've always managed it really well but I've always had anxiety so a lot of the symptoms and stuff I just thought that's how I was I didn't realize that there was like an underlying issue with it so describe anxiety compared to depression because the two completely different things how would you describe anxiety so it's different for different people but for me I would describe myself as high functioning anxiety which is things like being a perfectionist, overthinking things, being very hard on yourself. Um, and then there's like the, that's the kind of things that presented in me, but to the lone normal person, you wouldn't think that was an issue. That's what I thought, that's just how I was. But actually I realised that the reason for that was because of the anxiety below. So it's kind of the basic way to describe it is it's like the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And your body does that without you really being in a situation where you need to fight or flight. So it's very much like a chemical reaction in your body where you're basically on high alert all the time. So (laughs) constantly, you know, and you find ways to to deal with that. So for me, one of the symptoms that I didn't realise until more recently is something called disassociation, which basically means if I'm in a busy busy place so if it's there's too much going on I will kind of go into like a bubble (laughs) where I kind of or like come out of my body and I don't feel connected to my body and that's my body reacting to being overloaded with the everything around yeah so you kind of understand what's going around you but not taking anything in or don't really realize what's going on around yeah so kind of just like 
feel like you're not really here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to explain. And did you ex- experience that a lot in the toxic workplace you just described? Not so much. What what happened there was I wasn't at that level quite yet. Yeah. So I was at a point where I would be sat on my desk and I would get like really hot and get like a rash on my chest and just feel like really overwhelmed um, because of nothing really. Like obviously there's a trigger to it, but uh, you know there wasn't anything that had happened that would make me feel like that. So I'd have to go to the go to the bathroom and just like oh, I just need to breathe. I don't know. I'm just feeling really overwhelmed. So that's the stage it got to for me. And that's when I started to realise that I had anxiety because I hadn't really realised before until it had kind of like gone up, gone up a notch. Yeah, and gone up like. a few times, obviously it occurred a couple of times. Yeah, so I started to kind of recognise the patterns and doing a bit of research and understanding it a little bit because it wasn't something that I'd ever looked into because I had no interest in it because I didn't think it affected me. Yeah, you just thought it was kind of a very normal thing to kind of experience, which yeah. probably a lot of people in office or new to office environments maybe with all the pandemic stuff going on emphasizing things like they probably get a sense of overwhelmingness and don't really realize it's anxiety or linked with anxiety would you say it'd have to happen i don't know a couple of times a week to a couple of times a month to say oh this is actually a condition rather than like a one-off yeah so it's one of those things where you know everyone has bad days yeah everyone has days where they feel a bit sad or feel a bit flat or just feel a bit deflated or you know if you've got something going on that's quite stressful in your life you're gonna feel overwhelmed but it's when it goes on for like a prolonged period that it's something that you need to look into a bit further Mm. and when there's nothing necessarily triggering it obviously yeah so like workload or staff issues or anything like that yeah and it's just one thing is just being really aware of like yourself and knowing what you know how you feel and actually thinking about how you feel and how you react to things so another symptom that came out with me is it made me really snappy it's a really short like not really short tempered I'm quite like a you know calm person but for me I was having a lot less tolerance of things so it would kind of come out like that because I was overloaded and I just couldn't like just like the frustration I think of just being like this high all the time your body you know you have to let it out you can't and that's the thing with with mental health a lot of people don't speak about it and keep it bottled up and keep it down and it has to come out somehow it's gonna come out at some point how would you say you normally react in that situation when it's like a snappy, where you have to snap? How do you normally snap? Like I know if I, I'm normally quite a calm person, but when, yeah, and I have quite a short t- fuse with people and uh, yeah, normally snap at people, especially like my daughter Rosie, who's like four. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if she gets me at the worst time of the day, then yeah, I'm always very snappy to her. I'm like, Rosie, just shut up. <laughs> And after a bit, you have to be like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to say it. Why would you say you kind of react yourself? It's always the people closest to you, isn't it? So yeah. it would be, you know, like mother half like talking to me and I'd just be like, can you just, can you just stop? Like, I just need like, and it's like, and then afterwards you're like, he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just trying to speak to me. And I'm yeah. just like, can you just stop talking to me? Just like, give me a minute. And like, there would be nothing. And then I would feel bad. <laughs> but, yeah. So it's like a vicious cycle. But, um, yeah, there's so many things like that where people's people's mood changes, basically. And it's because of the pressure. So to go into it a little bit, a lot of the word that's really overused is stress. So I'm really stressed. I'm really stressed. I've got loads on. I'm yeah. stressed. Actually, a little there's a difference between stress stress and pressure. 
So pressure's a good thing. Like you can have pressure and it can build up and then, you know, and then you have the evening and you relieve it or however it works, you know. So you don't get too overwhelmed with it. But when you have prolonged periods of pressure, that's when it actually leads to stress. And then stress can lead on to other issues like anxiety, depression. And that's why it's so important to have the downtime and have the time out and, you know, do things that you enjoy that help you to release and stop that that pressure building too much. So that's kind of how... What would you say as some examples of things like... Well, when people play sports or go to the gym or see friends, stuff like that. Yeah. And did you say, would you say you ignored it a bit while you were in that situation when you find yourself, you were finding like a, a lot of pressure building up at that toxic workplace? Yeah. So I had a lot of other things going on as well at the time. So obviously, you know, everyone has to go to work and do things. I was also trying to buy a house. So going through that, didn't have a lot of free time at the weekends. So had had we got the house, so you have to, obviously that's quite a stressful thing, yeah, having to move and everything. Um, but we also decided we were going to rip it apart and yeah, <laughs> just redo the whole so, house. Um, so that's obviously more so the weekends are taken up. That it's not a great environment at work. Um, so it's a combination of everything, you know. Like the stress, it's impossible to keep your home life out of your work life and vice versa. And there's a really old thing like, yeah, keep your work and home life separate. It's impossible. Like you are the same person that goes to work that has to come home. So if you're affected by something at work, then you're going to take it home with you. And mm-hmm. same, same thing. So how would you say to people to kind of handle that? Would you say it's not necessarily a bad thing unless you can kind of turn it off or take it out on the right people? Obviously, you don't have to have an argument with your partner at home when it's something to do. With yeah, I think it's a really hard thing to manage. So just being aware of it and knowing and like thinking, yeah, I'm being a bit short-tempered. Why? Why am I being short-tempered? And you have to kind of like dig deep and actually think like, well, what have I got on at the moment? You know, how, where are my pressures? Do I need to have all this pressure? Is there something that I can put pause on? Or can I get help with something? Or, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can take pressure off ourselves. But a lot of people have that, nope, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm fine. I'll get on with it. Carrying it on the back thought more. And then you get to a point where it's too much and you don't really know how to deal with it being too much. And then, you know, then it can escalate to things like, like feeling suicidal and, yeah. and to the extreme end of it. So going back when you got to, uh, decided to leave the workplace, what was the next step after that? Because then it sort of got worse, didn't it, for yourself? Yeah, it did. So I thought, right, I'll get out of this situation and then that'll be, you know, evaluated that this is causing me issues. If I get out of it, then it'll help. And what happened was it didn't, we didn't leave on good terms. So there was repercussions from that. So we went down the employment tribunal route there was also a legal proceedings that were raised against against us. Um, so we had all of all of that to kind of do. And for anyone that's ever been through anything like that, it is so stressful when you don't know what you're doing. You're trying to learn, you're trying to read. And there's so much information on the internet and you can get, you know, help from ACAS and there's a few places that will help with it. But when you're trying, we were trying to do a lot of it ourselves because it is is expensive and we weren't entitled to any help because we had savings right. so if you are in a certain situation you can get help with it and they will pay for you to have you know a, a solicitor but because we had the court thing going on as well as the employment tribunal we had to pay for that because you can't get help for that because it's having to defend uh, it or we couldn't get help for it anyway 
so we had all that going on. Um, we also had this was a, just before the lockdowns. So getting all uh, right. So how long have you been there before all this started? Was it sort of a couple of two years, three years? What uh, from you starting at the business to finishing at the business? Yeah, so I was at the business for three years. Yeah, and it was probably about the last year where I was like thinking, right, I need to. This is I could see it getting worse and worse. So I had my eye on the door, like I need to get out of here. But it took me a long time before I actually realised what wanted to do. And even then, it was like, well, who knows if it's going to work? You know, might give it a go. And it. I had a backup because I had done the care before. I knew I could always jump back into that because I had a really good relationship with my previous employer. Um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I knew I had that as a backup. So that was kind of my safety net, if you like. Um, so yeah, so about a year really from realising to getting out. And that's the thing, once you realise it's not it's not as simple as, yep, I'm in a toxic place, let's just leave. There's all this stuff you have to put in place before you do. Um but yeah, because we left on bad terms, we had all that. We had trying to set the business up and go. And to be honest, we were quite naive with it. We didn't realise how much there was to do because we'd never set up a business before. We never started a business. So we had like a rough idea and you can, you know, get a lot of help with things. But it wasn't uh, dealing with that and a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> all, like, all at once. Who, who can predict that? So. Yeah, yeah. Cause they, no one kind of knew what the pandemic was kind of going to where it was going to start and end. No. Like, I think we all thought it was going to be a couple of weeks and yeah. like six, seven months in, we were like, oh, it's third to kind of stick around for a while. Know, it um, was bad. So, and then from the, um, so why all this was going on, was it successful sort of setting the business up in them for a few months or did it take sort of until after the pandemic to kind of get to? Well, we, that was actually the period when we were reviewing a lot of stuff. So that's when we started looking at the mental health training and we started looking at what we were offering and we did a lot it wasn't a bad thing because it gave us a lot of time to sit back or we were forced to sit back and look at what we we're doing and plan. So actually it was a bit of a blessing in disguise. I just wish it had gone on for like four months rather than like yeah, a year and a half. Yeah, <laughs> so, and that would have been good. Yeah. So from the, um, from successfully sort of setting up, what was the first few steps of the business? Was it just sort of getting your foot in the door with a couple of companies to offer? Specifically, was it mental health kind of awareness in a workplace other than health and safety? Yeah, well, that's one of the main the main areas that we kind of focus on. Yeah. Um, we also do management training, like leadership training. We also do um, first aid, manual handling, um, managing safely courses. So we have it like quite a few things that we that we do but my passion is the mental health because of what I've seen the effect that it can have on people and I've experienced it firsthand so I know how the workplace can have an impact if it's not managed properly and yeah it was it was the after as well it got worse after I left as well yeah yeah so you were saying that it, just because of the amount of pressure that was building from the sort of legal side obviously working out where you were going to work afterwards and setting up the new company and things like that yeah so that's when it kind of got worse for me so my anxiety got a lot worse and I was like basically not functioning yeah. <laughs> so like every day I was having anxiety attacks um, what? How would you describe an anxiety attack? What? What, yeah, so what would you go through? There's a difference between a lot of people heard of like panic attack yeah. and anxiety attack, and there's actually a difference between them. 
So I didn't realise this. So for a long time, I didn't realise that I was having anxiety attacks because I thought an anxiety attack was a panic attack. So a panic attack is, you know, as a you'll hear people describe it as like something on their chest that they can't breathe um, and feeling like suffocated and like, like panic really. Yeah. Um, with anxiety, with an anxiety attack, it was different for me. So I would have the extreme like out of body experience and my mind, I'd have complete brain fog. I wouldn't be able to concentrate. I wouldn't be able to see properly. I couldn't speak properly. <laughs> so like I was, I couldn't string a sentence together and it was really odd. And I was like, I can't, I feel like I've completely lost control of my body. Like I, I have no control over anything. And it would just kind of come over me like a wave and then it, it would like wipe me out for the whole like rest of the day. So I'd be exhausted. Yeah. So that's how it, how it affected me. And it was happening more or less every day because we had stuff coming in. So I was being triggered by the emails coming in from, from the court staff. And then if we got any posts, then that would trigger me as well. So like all these little things. And I realized that every time like we got posted to the door, I would have an anxiety attack. And it's like, you know, most of the time it wouldn't be anything. Yeah, yeah. Bit but of junk mail coming in from yeah, the local exactly. takeaway. Or like pizza menu or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not, not anything to have like a, a anxiety attack about. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that, that was happening. And then I was having days where I was struggling to get out of bed. And I just didn't want to do anything. And I just felt really flat and just... I was, I was depressed, but I didn't know that I was depressed. Because yeah. I'd never had it. I didn't really know. I knew what to look for, but I didn't know what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I know I'm really anxious, but what's this? This isn't, this, I'm not used this to this. And um, the thing, the, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the education is because I would say that I had quite a good understanding of mental health and signs and symptoms because that was at the time where I decided to self-educate myself a lot and listen to other people's stories. Mm. So if I didn't realise it was happening to me, there's so many people out there that have no idea about mental health at all or just know the very basic, like, yep, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And probably just associate a very general term with depression. Like, if you're having a bad day, I think probably the term depression or I'm depressed gets thrown around very quickly. Yeah. And it's kind of the first bout of call, but it's there's there's got to be some kind of difference from proper clinically diagnosed depression to a couple of bad days yeah yeah it's a pro it's a prolonged prolonged period but the thing is it creeps up on you and you've you can be in a hole before you know it and i think that's that's the thing that people struggle to pick up on because if you've got a lot going on you're so preoccupied with your day-to-day -day life so you get up go to work come home if you've got kids feed the kids get the kids sorted put them to bed have any an hour in front of the tv go to bed, do the same again, oh, again, 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 repeat, have a weekend, go out, have a few drinks, you know, and before you know it, you're not, you're not spending any time focusing on how you're feeling and what's going on in your life. And you can just, you literally wake up one day and just be like, what the fuck has happened to my life? Yeah. Why do I feel like this all the time? And you know, you've, you're in it, you've been in it for, for months and you don't even know because you've been so preoccupied with everything else that's going on in your life. So how would you say for someone to kind of put time aside or strategy they can do to 
um, kind of review what they're, where they're up to at the moment in their life. So not necessarily when they're having a bad day when to review it, but little things they can do to be like, oh, actually, I've got a lot of pressure coming in from work at the minute and that needs to be addressed. I think, yeah, it's just being aware of your behaviours. So like I said, if you're being snappy or if you're not doing things that you enjoy. So like if you go to the gym and stuff and then you're like, oh, I can't bothered, I don't want to go. And obviously everyone has days where they can't bother to go yeah, to the gym. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm the personal trainer, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. But when it's like a regular thing and then you're like, well, actually, I used to enjoy it. Why don't I go anymore? And you stop doing things that you enjoy. Um, you might start to isolate yourself and stop stop making effort to see friends and go out. And, you know, it's like every now and again, that's fine. But it's when it's becoming a habit and it's changing your behaviours and it's having impact on your life. And what you like doing, that's when I would say it's, you know, just be aware of of yourself. Yeah, and it's not, a, it's not a bad thing to necessarily have that review of yourself. I think a lot of people, when they start thinking, oh, why am I being snappy or why am I not going to gym, they start to have a, a bad negative. They, they must be like, well, I'm broken. So, and they start put, building this negativity around it. But it, it's quite healthy to sort of sit down. Like some people journal. I'm a big person who journals mm. uh, regularly sit down and sort of just yeah write out your thoughts or what you're feeling it's definitely not a sort of a bad thing to be doing no i i don't think it is at no. all and it's more talked about definitely i'd say now i mean i never really knew much about it um i mean i still probably don't know that much about it now but yeah definitely sort of five plus years ago like you said um yourself when you said about suicide being like a selfish act like i think everyone had well a lot of the people i knew had that same um attitude towards mental health like if someone's saying they're depressed they'd be like no they're just sort of having a day or they're being yeah, soft just get out of like, it why yeah, are you so yeah. miserable all the time i know exactly <laughs> you start sort of yeah seeing them as a bad guy all the time but definitely recently in um in the lockdown just before the first lockdown like i went through a breakup and my partner at the time she was very depressed so it was kind of the first time on hand i'd experienced it i think sometimes you gotta go through or work with someone who's had it or have it yourself or whatever to understand kind of the ins and outs of it a lot. But that's that's something that's not spoken about very much either is mm. the impact that it has on the people around, the person that's struggling. Yeah. Because it's yeah. hard. Like Because you don't know how to approach hard. it with them. Like I know it's something I wouldn't like talking about because you thought I don't know if I'm going to trigger them if I start talking about it and do I kind of console them or do I give them the space yeah. or how do they react? Like you don't know what, what to ask. How do, how do you... But that's that's the thing is communication, and it's finding out how that person what what they want from you. Like what what can I do for you? I know you're having a tough time. Like how can I help you? Do you want me to help you with anything? Do you want me to give you space? Do you want you know you have to ask. But that person needs to be able to communicate that as well. So if they're not really understanding what they're going through, how are they going to tell you how you can help them? Because they don't even know how they can help themselves. Yeah, because you you have that. That argument in your head where if you bring it up with them, you don't want to feel like they're a burden on you at the minute and that's why you want to help them. So I think, I'm guessing is this what your company will do is kind of helping to talk to colleagues, with other colleagues, your peers, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's all around the basic um, course that we do, like the first things that you learn are about the signs and symptoms, so what to look out for. And then another big thing is having conversations, so non-judgmental listening. And there's how to speak and how to... So, for example, it's called active listening. So when someone's speaking, you give them the space to speak. 
it's really easy to kind of jump in and be like, well, why don't you try this? Why don't you do that? But actually having that pause and having that silence and letting them speak is like a lot more valuable than you would think. You don't, you don't need to say, quite often you don't need to really say anything. You just need to listen and be there and understand and offer support. And it's really that simple. But a lot of people avoid conversations because one, they're worried about saying the wrong thing. And two, they don't know how what to say. You don't really need to say anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, when I was going through that with my partner, my daughter's mum, obviously in lockdown you couldn't really see family and friends anyway, mm. but I didn't really want to get my family's opinion on um, things because you know your family's always going to take your side, so you're like, I don't need anyone bad-mouthing anyone. It's not going to make the situation any better. Yeah. So I called the Samaritans and now... At the time, or well, before that, I always felt like Samaritans were like a suicide helpline, which there is a separate line for that. Um, but they literally is the are literally just people on the other end of the phone who's willing to listen to you. They're not going to give any opinion or judge or give you any advice. Uh, and I found that was really helpful. Just sit on the phone. I think I was on the phone for like nearly two hours. Um, yeah. But yeah, little things like that, which you're describing with your active listening, yeah, just, is massive. Just help. getting it out, just like talking and. Is one that, another thing that's said quite a lot is, oh, just talk about it. Talk about how you're feeling. Say, say, you know, tell your loved one how you're feeling. But that's really hard to do if you don't understand how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So something that I, that helped me a lot personally was to do a lot of research. So I did a lot of, you know, Googling, you know, yeah. not meant to Google your symptoms, but yeah. actually there's a lot of really good information on that. So I was, I was doing a lot of research about it. I was trying to understand it so that I knew what was happening with me so that I could explain it. And then another thing is to, rather than saying it, to write it down. So like you were saying with the journaling, it's, this, it's the same kind of thing. You're getting it out and you're getting it on paper. And that can be a really release in itself just to get it out of, out of your head how you're feeling. Yeah. And then go to speaking because it's not easy to speak about it and be vulnerable and say I'm having a really shit time and I'm struggling and I need some support it's a really hard thing to say I suppose you've got a candidate some people probably prefer to pick the audience that they're speaking to some people might not feel comfortable speaking to a partner a parent or a peer or a sibling anything like that some people might prefer to talk to an absolute stranger yeah. Uh, because they know that there's going to be no repercussion from it and that's the thing it's, it's funny because I, I'm quite active on LinkedIn I was saying to you before and what happened was I was seeing people like sharing their experiences with mental health with eating disorders and things and these are like people that own businesses they're people that are like I would say were successful and it really changed it for me because I was like these people like they're not perfect you don't need to be perfect to be a business owner it's okay to say that it's you know you're struggling so that made me feel comfortable to speak about my issues. And after speaking to my partner um, and a couple of friends, but I, I still don't speak to my family about it really. I sp- a little bit, but not really in detail. Um, but then I do posts on LinkedIn where I explain everything and write it all down and like say, this is what happens when I have anxiety. This is what happened when I found out I, when I felt I was depressed. Putting like my whole bloody life and so on to the internet to, yeah. for strangers. And the reason that I was doing it was because I thought, one, it's not spoken about enough. And two, it might just help someone like it helped me seeing other people and I had so many messages and things saying thank you so much like you've really helped me understand you know what's going on with me it's really nice to see people speaking about it so openly because there's so much stigma around the topic that 
it's quite unusual to speak to somebody that's so open about it, but it's like refreshing. You're like, yeah, it's fine. I think, and I mean, I don't really use LinkedIn as much as I should, but uh, the problem with social media is that that's exactly what I think it because it portrays so many perfect lifestyles, and you kind of don't associate associate that that person's having a bad time because they're always posting these happy pictures. Mm-hmm. But um, one of my my friends was on a podcast, and he was he explained it really well. He said so, like if you rated your life out of ten, one to ten, and you might put yourself on, I don't know, um, an eight, a nine. When you then look at someone on Instagram and like one of these Instagram famous people and you look at their life in Bali or Dubai and the, the life looks perfect and you'll give their life a 10, it kind of then makes your number go a lot lower. So like you'll feel like your life is a 2 out of 10 and then that reflects on the behavior throughout the whole day. And it sounded pretty bang on to be honest. And that is the problem of social media. Like it just portrays perfect lifestyles everywhere other than your own. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's a really poisonous thing at the moment, what we're having issues with. The compare, it's impossible not to compare. Mm-hmm. It is impossible. And like, so people just post the best bits. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't post as much on um, Instagram and stuff. I'm a lot more active on LinkedIn, but that's because of work. And I've realised that by me speaking openly about mental health, it pulls people in, that's a business, you know, it, it's with what I do. Yeah. So I'm... you know I'm not personally but we're training people to be open and have conversations and get rid of the stigma around mental health so I need to practice what I preach you know and I don't you know don't go on there if I'm if I'm having a bad day I won't go on oh I'm having such a bad day yeah it it turns from your own counsel into kind of advertising so I wait and like you know I don't I don't post every time I have a bad day but if I see that there's some value in it in something from it so I did a post um yesterday about getting an anxious rash on my chest and I thought you know what I for years didn't know that that was a symptom and I have had it since I can remember since I was like a teenager so I thought you know I'll do a post about it and just say this is one of the symptoms that I get and there were so many people in the comments saying oh my god I get this too I didn't realize that's what it was or thank you so much because I literally have been having the same thing and I didn't know what it was if it was connected or not and so if I can help educate somebody through sharing my own experiences of being vulnerable then I you know I, I don't mind being vulnerable and some people looking and thinking oh my god oversharing like yeah, and because you get that you're going to get judged no matter what you what you do and say so it really outweighs it for as me as long as you help someone in, uh, it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter what their opinion is what would you say the main things to look out in a so if there was a a young person listening now, brand new in a work environment, what kind of red flag would you advise to kind of look out for when it could possibly be turned into a toxic uh, toxic relationship, toxic environment? They're very similar. (laughs) There's a lot of similarities there. Yeah, what would you say to look out for or definitely make people aware of? I just think like, it's, it's a difficult one because everywhere is different. And the other thing to remember is that people have different triggers and different tolerance to things so an environment that somebody might be very comfortable in and not have any issues in somebody else might feel it's toxic so it's really just going just going with your gut if things are happening that you're seeing happening that don't feel morally right with you that don't sit right with you or there's a lot of if you see like bullying and things it happens a lot unfortunately but you just have to be, just have to look, look around. And yeah. just, I think the thing is to realise as well that like, 
you can get out of that situation. You don't need to stay in it. And one thing for me that was quite difficult was that I had a lot of friends in that environment because I was working and, you know, I didn't have that many friends outside of work. I had a few, but most of my work, you know, when you're working full time, the people you see every day are the people yeah, you go to yeah. work with. So you naturally build friendships. And I was kind of like, oh my God, like, why are they still in this situation? Get out. Like, why? But you can't save people. And if they want to be in that situation, then that's their choice. But you can't stay somewhere because of that. And, you know, when you leave, you have to kind of accept that you're probably going to be cut off from a lot of people that you were yeah. that you were friendly with. Because... You've got to find a new circle. Yeah. And it's hard. And I went through a stage where I was like, how on earth am I ever going to make friends? I'm now running my own business. I'm not going to have an office for years if I do. And even if I do, they're going to be my employees. Yeah. And I was like how am I going to make friends? I literally, like, do I go to a bar and, like, talk to people on my own? Like, a weirdo. Like, Clubs. Yeah, like, how do you do it when you're an adult? It's a really hard thing to do. Kids are, like, like, rather you go up to any other kid in a park and just start chatting to them. And, like, yeah. then they're like, this is my best mate now. Yeah, we're friends yeah. now. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. But it's completely different when you're adults because I think you're worried about opinions a lot more when you get as you get older and repercussions of things. It's it's very bizarre. Yeah. It's awful. But as, as well, people have, like, a financial... Well, feel like they have a financial obligation to an employer. If yeah. they're being... Or they think they're being treated unfair, if they feel like they're going to lose a job, which obviously it'll affect their financial income. Yeah. Um, people probably stick around a lot longer, I would have thought of it. Yeah, it, has, it all has an impact. There's so many things that you need to think about and it's like, it's a big life change, it's scary. Like to leave, because you spend so much time, I'm, I mean, I'm going off if you work full time, you spend so many hours at work to completely change, to change your job is to change your life, isn't it, really? Because your routine changes, you're going to be around different people, you're going to be going to a different place, you might have different working hours, you might be doing a completely different job. So it really is a massive uproot and upheaval of your life. But one of the things, this saying, like, it's like one of my favourite sayings, because it really, like, I heard it, I was like, yeah, like, you can't get much truer than that. And it's whatever you are not changing you are choosing right so if you are if you're not changing an environment you're in you're choosing to be in that environment because you can make a decision to leave and it might not be an easy decision but you still have control and i think it's feeling like you don't have control and feeling like you don't have options that keep you know like oh well i you know i'll be paid less doing another job or i'll be you know and i'll be working more or whatever it might be it's there's nothing that's more important than your mental health and your health in general so you know way up we don't live to work at the end of the day so i think it's yeah it's really important and to be honest like broadening your horizons a little bit trying different work environments it's it's always a i think it's always a good learning as long as you kind of always going up the ladder or at least side like not going down like downgrading jobs and stuff but even if you do like sometimes if you go into another job and it's, you know, below or lower, less pay. If it's the right environment, you can work your way up a lot quicker. Mm. So it's not always necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But it is difficult to make that decision and feel like you're doing the right thing. Because you, you want to feel certain, don't you? You want to know that it's going to be better and that your life's going to improve. But you just, you're never going to know until you try it. And I think for me, leaving and setting up my business and everything that we've done 
was it's been the hardest time of my life like without a doubt and I've you know I haven't had a hard life but I've been through some stuff but without a doubt the hardest thing like emotionally mentally has been difficult but I'm now in the best position I've ever been in and I wouldn't be here if I hadn't gone through that and taken that risk and you know jumped (laughs) yeah I think one thing what people associate with leaving a job it's either having that job or not having a job being jobless but that's the like a million other jobs on the other side of that that you can actually take so it's not the case of it's either having this job that I'm unhappy in or being jobless it's you know you've always got that third option though or what what else what other options do I have on the on the table because there's millions out there you can completely change your life if you want and go down a completely different career route or path or but yeah there's more than just it's either black or white like there is always another case when you're in a bubble yeah you feel like you're in a bubble but it's easy to forget like you say there are literally millions of opportunities out there like you can you can look at your options you will have more options than you think you do and that like guarantee for anybody i know what it's like to feel like you don't have any options but when you start thinking outside the box and looking at things that you weren't maybe looking at before and it might be something you're not sure about but you don't know until you try it. It might be the best thing you do. And if you're not happy anyway, then what have you really got to lose? Like, yeah. your time is a lot more valuable than money. You can always make money, but you can't get time back. So if you spend 10 years in a toxic work environment because it pays well, well, well done, but you've been miserable for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So, you're a better off person at the end of it, exactly. Yeah. So what was the treatment you looked at when you went through the anxiety and then it turned into depression? What was the treatments? Because not everyone got kind of goes to medication some people try holistic approaches some people don't try any and or go through counseling what is it you went down there's so many different like you said there's so many different options that you can go down with it um for me i let it get to a point where i was quite bad um not not to the point where i was suicidal i was in a really i had a lot of support around me but i thought about it and thought if I wasn't in this situation with all the support, then it would be something I would be considering, which was quite a scary thing. Having the previous things thinking suicide selfish, like, yeah. no, I can see now how, like, that is, a cl- that is as close as I ever want to get to that again. But it gave me an insight to, you know, that, how, why people do, why people, how people feel when, you know, they're considering it. So for me, it was like, right, I don't really want to do. I was already trying to do the self-help stuff. So I was exercising. Um, I was eating, you know, fairly healthy and stuff. I was I was getting out and walking and things. So I spoke to the doctor and they prescribed me medication. And I was really reluctant to take it. I really didn't want to because, once again, the stigma around medication for, for mental health. So you get the um, antidepressants, something I, I don't even know where I heard it. I don't know where it stuck with me, but once you've got an antidepressants, you can't get off them. Yeah, I've heard the, the exact same stigma as well. Yeah, exactly the same. Like, once you start, you've got to just rely on other drugs, and it's... it's yeah, and so I had that in my head, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on, like, antidepressants for the rest of my life. That's that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, but I thought, do you know what? I'm speaking to the doctor. She's really lovely. I had to work myself up for about a month to call her because I was putting it off I didn't want to have that conversation and it's like and when you get anxious as well things like phone calls can 
you make it into a massive deal. It feels like a huge deal. So yeah. like on the phone, like I'm really anxious, shaking, like, and I was like, yeah, I'm just really overwhelmed. I was like crying on the phone and she was like, oh, <laughs> she was absolutely lovely. And she's like, I'm going to prescribe you something. It's going to be a really small dose to start off with. Take it for a couple of weeks. If you have any side effects like this, this or this, then speak, speak to me and we can adjust it or we can change it. Um, but just give it, just give it a go. It'll help you level out. It'll help you feel more, more balanced. So I, I went and I got, got the medication, started on it. The first three or four days were pretty horrific, if I'm honest. I had like migraines and I was feeling very sick. I didn't really eat very much for about a week because I just felt sick. Was that expected? Did she say this could happen? Yeah, so that, that was, they were all things that were side effects. But when she told me what I was having, so the particular one that I had was sertraline. Um, and she said it's one that has the least side effects. So there's so many different options out there, but she said this one tends to have, you know, least side effects. So we'll start you on that one and see how you go with that. And the reason I didn't phone and say, yeah, I feel awful was because I thought, right, she said two weeks. And if I phone and say, yeah, this isn't working for me, she's going to give me something else. I'm going to have to do it with something else anyway. And it might be even worse. Like I'm not, um, I did have a friend who I spoke to who had the same thing and it made her feel suicidal and she'd never felt suicidal before. So there are side effects that you shouldn't ignore with it. Yeah. But for me, I was like, I, my head's fuzzy anyway. I don't know what's going on, but I'm just feeling sick and have a headache, had a migraine for a day, but like had a headache for about a week. And I was like, that's not too bad. I can manage this. I'll, I'll give it the two weeks. And then after about a week and a half, I started to feel like the side effects went and I started to feel better but not it's not like a magic pill like it's not like a here you go you know like happy pills yeah, take one of these yeah. and you'll be fine it doesn't work like that it's a gradual thing but over like the first couple of months I just started to feel myself being able to control and manage myself a bit more so rather than like reacting straight away or having that reaction straight away where I would go into an anxiety attack it would give my brain a chance to process it so it just it just helped level me out really. So I was lucky that the first thing I tried actually worked for me and I was on quite a low dose. I also knew that what I was going through was because of my situation. So in my head I was like, when this situation's calmed down and some of this pressure's gone, I will look at coming off it. So I I never wanted to be on it for long term. And she said to me, "You can wean you know you can come off it. You can wean yourself off. We'll just get you through. Just have it as a little pick me up for this time, and then we can review it." Is there a thing called sort of situational depression or situation anxiety where you're only kind of feeling this because of a certain situation at the moment, and once it passed, things would probably get better? Is there? I I mean that's I think so. Yeah, because some people are like. Um, chemically have an imbalance in the body from day one don't they like the start like a lot of symptoms start off very early in childhood yeah despite them having like a completely normal upbringing yeah um or other times it can be triggers like work but it's not necessarily like the that that's it now as soon as that's it that's it for the rest of your life until you get help sometimes can it just be um you know like you said with the, that the doctor said it's going to kind of see you through this tough yeah. time and then you can look at coming off because it's not, it's not a long life treatment. Yeah, I think when you struggle with depression or anxiety, it's something that... So I have family members that are depressed. It's something that is in my family. Yeah. 
I don't know too much about the science of, you know, hereditary stuff, but it's the nature-nurture psychology thing, isn't it? You can go, like, really deep with it. But I would say that I was quite susceptible to becoming depressed because of it's something I've been around. I don't know, like, the technical, too much of the technical stuff behind it. But I knew, once you've kind of got it and you've had it and you've been anxious, like, I will probably never not feel anxious to some extent. I will always be managing it. It's not something that you can really treat, but you can you can manage it. Yeah, it's not you can't treat it to go away completely. Yeah, and I think it's the same thing with with depression. So you'll have, you might have a situation that's the high pressure, stressful, and then it makes it worse and it brings it out. But there is, you know, people do live and manage manage it and manage it without medication or with medication or yeah, through therapy, and it's really about finding what works for you so I haven't actually ever had any therapy which I am that's one of my things for this year I'm like I'm going to start therapy because I know that it will help me but I've never been to a point where I've been confident enough to actually ask or admit that that's something I need so it took me being really low and having to get out of that hole with the help of medication to be like right I know there's deeper issues there so I need to do the work and look into it I went into, uh, I've done two therapy sessions. Uh, one of them was like a hypnotherapy session mm-hmm. and I was like a little bit, so again, it was kind of coming off. So I'd gone through the, the breakup before with um, my ex, my daughter's mum. And then like it was like more like a year after I started going to therapy only because I found that I was just still not, uh, so I, I kind of just couldn't interact with like other women anymore. Like mm-hmm. I weren't. Not that we're interested, but they were always like seem to be like roadblocks in the way. I'd be like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to go dating anymore and stuff. Uh, and I found the dating was I found the hypnotherapy a bit weird because I've never you, so you've never tried hypnotherapy either. I haven't. No. no. It very. It's to be honest, I don't think it was when I went because I get, kind of have the feeling like you kind of fall asleep, they do what they need, and then you wake up and you're fixed. But um, yeah, it's a lot weird. It's like they kind of walk you. So you're lying on a bed like you would in a, you'd imagine like a therapy chair. Yeah. And they kind of walk you through a scenario and you kind of just got to close your eyes, go along with it. Um, you probably got to be quite an open-minded person would have said to, to do it. And um, yeah, it's kind of like disassociating emotions with certain things that's happened in the past and like mm. sort of leaving things behind you very weird but then i did a normal therapy session where i sat down a therapist and like that's when you kind of realize how deep some of the stuff can go so um at the beginning of the session they had to go through like your standard health and safety like in the gym we do a park you basic make sure you're healthy and they have to do a similar thing so there was like uh, the lady was like have you ever been suicidal i was like uh, no and she said are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've never been suicidal. And then, you know, when someone asks you, then you start thinking yeah. about it. You're like, have I been, yeah, have I ever been suicidal? And she said, uh, well, like, if you wanted to commit suicide, now what would you do? And I was like, bloody hell, I don't know. <laughs> like, and she went, you've never been suicidal. Yeah, because yeah. apparently she, she said, like, when people are suicidal, they know exactly what they want to do. They know how they want to do it, what time of day, if they're going to tell anyone. And, stuff. and it's that afterwards, I was like, bloody hell, like suicide is a very deep thing. It's not, um, like we were saying before, five years ago, it was a selfish uh, act, what everyone thought it was. Um, and yeah, when she explained it like that, I was like, bloody hell, like when people battle some demons. Yeah. So it's like, it's an escape. Mm. It's like, I cannot cope with this anymore. I need to get out of it. And I've spoken to quite a lot of people who have attempted suicide or been suicidal. 
and they don't think they think that their family will be better without them. Yeah, and they, that's they feel like genu- they they think that they are a massive issue, and with them gone, their issues will be gone. But it leaves the issues behind, so it doesn't fix anything. No, <laughs> it's no. really sad, but it doesn't. But in that moment, that's how that person feels. Genuinely feel like that, and yeah, sad. So when you come into the workplace, what's the attitude you kind of get? people to adopt like from management to just the very baseline employees what kind of stuff specifically around more mental health and health and safety that like kind of step one and being someone to talk to or actively listen like you were saying what what would you kind of teach them to the thing is there's different different levels of it and you get different you know every single person is different and you get the people that are very open-minded to it, have seen, been through it, you know, had the experiences and want to understand it. And then you get the people that are like, we never had this in my day. Yeah. <laughs> it's mental yeah. health crap. Everyone's, everyone's got mental health issues nowadays, haven't they? And it's that like, I think it's a generational thing, mm. to be honest. 100%. And a lot of like, you know, men being men and all, all those kind of things. But there's a huge stigma around it where people... Some people think that people that have mental health issues are weak. Yeah, I had that feeling about five weak. years ago. Exactly. I thought anyone with mental health was sort of a weak-minded person. Yeah. And yeah, I've completely changed that around now. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's the thing. And a lot of people still do have that mentality because they don't understand it and they haven't been through it. And you can't make somebody understand it if they haven't been through it. I don't think you can ever truly understand unless you've been there, but you can show empathy and you can understand that you don't understand it, but that person's having a tough time and, you know, you can, yeah, you can have some empathy for them and understand that. And if you haven't ever had any mental health issues, then you're really lucky. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's, um, yeah, exactly that. When you were saying it was a generational thing, I think kind of like, so I would, but I was a 90s baby, so I kind of went through the uh, internet being quite a new thing, and that's the generation who kind of before internet, like, yeah, it was keep your feelings to yourself. And then now with the power of all the social media and you can post about feelings and things like that and statuses, uh, it's a lot more easy to connect. That's when I've, it seems that's when the mental health awareness is coming through a lot more. Mm-hmm. So people kind of pre-90s, yeah, it's definitely a, you know, suck it up and get a lot, get on with it without making yeah. a drama scene about it. Because you get, you get your behaviours from your parents. Mm-hmm. So if you are, if you have, you know, a dad who's like man's man, who's like, stop crying, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Get on with it. Oh, stop being a wimp. And all these things get thrown around still now, very commonly, very common sayings. Um, for me, I was brought up by a single mum. So I'm the eldest of four and my dad left when I was eight. So my youngest brother was two. So she had four young children, but she was actually brought up by her dad. Right. So a lot of her behaviours now, obviously seeing now in hindsight, are quite stereotypical male behaviours where, no, I'll just get on with it. I'm not asking for help. I can deal with it myself. Very independent, very, you know, I'll just get on with it. I don't need help. I don't, I'm not looking weak. And that all kind of passed on to me. So I had that, that's why I found it so hard to talk about it because I didn't want to admit that I was struggling because I thought it made me look weak. I didn't want to feel vulnerable. I didn't want to look vulnerable. And 
when you actually start talking, you realise it's actually a really strong thing to be vulnerable. But when you've had it drummed into you for years and years from parents and, you know, they had it from their parents and it's just the generational thing of, like, that's how you cope with things. Yeah. Probably, like, you know, a couple of generations ago, like, it would be completely different again. But the uh, I, th- I think a lot of it stems to, and again, probably linked to social media where we are, it's worrying what other people think if you was to speak to them like that. Um, and that's why I think, like, either talking to a doctor or... Count, going through counselling or a therapist, like having someone on the fence sometimes is a lot more of a better option. But yeah, people sometimes just have the stigma that if I start talking like this or saying how I feel and that person's going to even not want to spend time with me or yeah, think I'm weak or having a breakdown or I'm having a bad time. But it, it, definitely, it definitely doesn't mean someone's broken no. just because they kind of start thinking, you know, why am I feeling like this at the moment? I think that's yeah. one of the worries people automatically think. As soon as they have a, some people call it a wobble, yeah. Like it's a bad thing and that's it. They've kind of, yeah, they've broke something in, in the minds that, that can't be replaced. It doesn't need to be like a big, deep conversation. Mm. You know, you can just say to a friend, you know, like, oh, hi, you all right? How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. That's the standard answer. Yeah. And it's like, how, how are you really? Is everything all right? How's things at home? It's fine to say, do you know what? Actually, I'm having a bit of a shit time. It's really hard. I've got a lot on at the moment. You know, this is happening, that's happening. And... I don't, if, I mean, if you've got a decent group of friends around you, I don't think you're going to get a bad reaction from that. And if anything, it means that that person's probably going to feel comfortable opening up to you when they're having a tough time because they know that you're not going to be judgmental because you've opened up to them. Yeah. Exactly. The only time I started um, opening up to people more like how I was feeling, sort of post that breakup was, um, yeah, first time I spoke to a very, like, I know you've got your friends and you've kind of got a, a closer group of friends within that. Mm. You know, the first time I kind of reached out to them, like, I give them best mate a text, like, oh, do you mind coming out? I need to have a chat with you about something. Well, I explained more of a mess and need to have a chat yeah. about the, uh, what I'm feeling at the minute. And it definitely helps. I think as soon as you get past that first hurdle, like, your friends are always going to look after you if they're a true friend anyway. Yeah. Um, I always felt a little bit more uncomfortable talking to it about my pet with my parents. Mm. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have, I think, you can always pick your audience you want to yeah, speak to. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm the same with my parents. I would rather speak to a friend. And I think it's just because, like, you don't want to... Worry them. Yeah, you don't want to worry mm. them. You don't want to feel like you're letting them down. And yeah, yeah. Although you're not, and they would probably want you to speak to them. And oh, they would be the most worried, most supportive people in the world. Yeah. But it's kind of like... You, you're obviously, you grow up and you're a child and you go to them and then you get, you grow up, don't you? And yeah. you're like, yeah, I'm an adult now. Yeah, I, don't I don't need, need you anymore. I don't need you no more. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. then to have to go back and be like, yeah, do you know what? I need yeah, you. I'm like, that's hard. <laughs> no, yeah, like there were the nights when uh, my mum would phone me and she was like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to bed. I was like driving to my mates. I drive into my sister even to like have a chat with her about like how I was feeling. So because of the lockdown, it was like a lot harder. Yeah. And she'd be like, yeah, your sister phoned me. She told me you're on the way there. I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> like, put the phone down straight away. Yeah. But they do meet, the, obviously, they want the best and they would 100% back me and, like, talk to me about anything. But, yeah, you need to be comfortable who you're speaking with, I think, sometimes. Okay. So it's probably a, a breath of fresh air for employees to have a company like yourself come in where they can put things in place or a little thing to look out, out for and how to talk. I think another thing, like, if someone a couple of years ago or a client said... I'm feeling like this at the moment and started crying or getting upset like I wouldn't have known how to react I'm probably a little bit more empathetic now yeah. but um yeah so I think having people like yourselves coming in 
is a massive breath of breath of fresh air. Yeah, one of the things that we say as well because it's not you do you have a duty of care to look after your employees. So um, first aid, there's a you have to have if you've got over five employees, you have to have a first aider trained or people trained first aid there isn't anything like that for mental health first aid but it's a general thing of like you need to look after your employees well-being so what some companies are doing now that mental health's becoming a big topic all right we'll get some mental health first aiders then which you know i'm all for anyone anyone educating learning more about mental health is a positive i'm not going to say that that's a bad thing but the issue you've got then, so the mental health first aider is the level up when they basically can have a conversation and know how to signpost you to get help. Right, so the past you want to certain avenues. Yeah, and just right. support you and just listen because, you know, like it's, it's, it's comparable to a first aider. If something happens and you need an ambulance, you don't try and deal with the stuff that, you know, the ambulance would deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you are that middle connection and it's the same thing so it's not training people to be counsellors or be able to have conversations and a lot of it is about listening knowing what to listen for and offering you know advice on where to go not advice on how to deal with your life problems so that's fine to have people like that trained in the workplace but how does everyone else know what they actually are capable of and when to speak to them and what if it's somebody that you know what if somebody's having issues and they don't have a good relationship with one of the mental health first aiders? They might not feel comfortable to go and speak to them. So one of the things that we really push for is to have every single person trained in the basic awareness. So signs and symptoms, how to have a conversation so that you can have that peer to peer relationship. Because if you're working with the same person every day, then you're a lot going to be a lot more comfortable to speak with them than you are to speak with a manager or somebody who you don't really have a close relationship with. And some people are really lucky and there's some brilliant managers where they already naturally have those relationships with people. But going into, for us, going into a workplace where you don't know the dynamic, that is like the best, best option there. To have everybody so that, you know, everyone can do, do what they need to if and when it arises and for everyone to feel comfortable having those conversations. And the other thing is, it's not just at work, you take it home. So you're not just, you know, you need to be, as we were saying, what happens at work happens yeah. at home. So it's like, you might train somebody and they might think, do you know what, actually, my daughter's been a bit, and you'll pick up on things. And maybe they've got things going on at home they didn't realise were issues because they didn't understand it. So it gives them empathy and the tools to recognise things at work and at home as well. So yeah, that's, that's massively important. I'm yeah. dreading the day Rosie probably comes home to try and console me because I, I yeah. definitely would not see a red flag at all. I'd be like, right, I'm just going to make dinner then. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be terrible. Uh, but because you're spending, people spend so long at work now and I think I'm not sure where we're up to with people going back into offices for work. I'm not sure where we're at. But um, you, you're at work for nearly most of the day. So if anything is going to stem, like most of the time, I, I presume like they do find it is from work and environments. And the other thing as well is with everything's been amplified with the lockdown. Mm. So working from home, um, although it's, you know, nice and works for some people, sometimes some people find that incredibly isolating yeah. and can't switch off because you get up, go to your office, do work, and then you might be working longer hours. You're probably not taking proper breaks. And I think there was a there was a study, I can't remember where it was from, but it was people were working actually longer hours and working more 
in the lockdown working from home than they did in the office. Yeah. So there was a, a lot of um, employers were thinking, or yeah, were worried that they weren't going to get their money's worth out of the people that were working yeah. from home. And there was, once again, the kind of view that people work from home lazy and don't really work. But actually, that's been disproven completely if you've got your laptop there on the kitchen side and it's past sort of five o'clock six o'clock when you're normally finished and you thought i'll just answer that email while i'm just making tea or something like that and then that spirals into a couple of hours and before you know it you're on your laptop yeah exactly and so there's all those things where the lines have become blurred between work and home life and you know people aren't socializing at work if they're working from home there's been a lot of people that have had you know lost jobs and things a lot of extra stress a lot of uncertainty they've been like homeschooling oh my god i don't have kids and i honestly was like oh my god it's bad enough working from home with the cats i can't even imagine what it would be like trying to work homeschool and have children like yeah. in a thing so all of those things are massive pressures that people have been dealing with for a prolonged period. So do you think, um, so what you're doing kind of in a workplace at the moment in a workplace environment, do you think it'll get carried over into schools like down the line? I think that there are some schools that do well-being yeah. classes and things. It's not my area. I don't know enough about it. But what we are looking at doing, because we currently, how we do it is we go into businesses and do it in in that work environment. But we really want to do it so that people can book on as individuals to the course. And maybe do one for parents, uh, aimed at parents specifically. And kind of target things like that. Because a lot of people have an interest in it, but they might not be able to get it through work or their work might not be interested in it. Or they might work for themselves and then, you know... So to make that an option, we are looking at things with that. Um, I think there's quite a few. There is a course for children's mental health, but it'll be very different to what what we cover. And it might be something that we go into at some point in the future. But I think it's a big... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh, for anyone listening, whereabouts can they find you? Um, Where are you based and everything about the business? Yeah, so we're based, we've got people based all over the UK. So we cover every single area of the UK. Um, we're, I'm very active on LinkedIn, but our website is www.eliteforsafety.com. I think you can just Google Elite for Safety and we come up. Um, we've got an Instagram, Facebook account, LinkedIn account. So quite an online presence if yeah. anyone wants to find us and get in contact. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast because it's been a bit of a drive from Oxford for you, but at least you've got some family to see. Um, So yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Perfect.